Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello, and welcome to another podcast episode. I hope that you're having a great weekend if you're listening on the Sunday or else you're having a good week as you listen during the course of the week. Today I am joined by my friend um, and collaborator, Dr. Monique Kwachu. Um, she is a passionate feminist as well as organizer around education and rights. And um, we've had a very long interaction over the years and um, today we're having a very open and vulnerable conversation. Um, so today, if you don't know, is World Suicide Prevention Day. This is a day that's commemorated every year, and it's a day to bring light or shed light around um, suicide uh, and mental health. And so uh, we made this recording, Monique and I, some time ago, and it's a recording about discussing mental health issues and being vulnerable in public. And we had a conversation about this some time ago. And I said, hey, I think it would be good if I published this episode on World Suicide Prevention Day. And she said, yeah, that, that would be a good idea. Go ahead with that. And I think our collective thinking around this is to contribute in some way to the conversation around mental health and suicide and suicidal ideation. Now, I have had the experience in my life of knowing many people who have taken their lives. Not many, but some people that I've known personally who've taken their lives. I've also had the experience of uh, people going through a very graphic suicidal ideation in my presence. And every time people take their lives and people come online and say, oh, but how could that person do that? That's very selfish or um, they have everything. So, you know, what's wrong with them? Why would they even think about that? I get very much, I feel a type of way about that because I think if you have the fortune of never having experienced poor mental health, you should count yourself very lucky because some people haven't had that experience and some people struggle daily just to stay alive. And when those people cannot do it anymore, they use the outlets that they feel will help them, will help to bring peace to them. And so I think we tend to not think about the internal experience of people who are going through excruciating mental health episodes. And um, it's important that we have more conversations about these issues. And I'm really so grateful to Monique, you know, being someone with a very public profile, very accomplished, um, who doesn't have to come on and tell us about her experiences, but feels that in doing so, she may help someone else. It is such a brave act and I'm so grateful to her for feeling safe enough to speak to me and to speak to all of you as well about, about this issue. 
And I think it's really important, us both being people who are, you know, accomplished people with very public profiles, always look like, you know, we're doing what we're doing and we're getting things done to come out in solidarity with one another and say, you know, I've experienced this, this is hard, and it is something that we do not want to keep in silence because we hope that it might help someone else who has experienced this or who is going through this. With that said, I just want to remind you that I'm not a trained public health practitioner and I have um, really cannot offer any kind of professional advice about what to do if you're feeling um, any kind of poor mental health or having thoughts um, that may be suicidal in nature. Um, I would just say that if this is a triggering episode, if you're not ready for these kinds of conversations, please take a pause um, and, and really don't put yourself into something that may be um, triggering to you. However, if you do listen and this resonates with you in any way, please do find someone you trust, someone who can hold space for you. It's important to, to say that that many people may love us and may care for us, but may, they may not be able to hold space for our feelings, our complex feelings of unwellness, of mental unhealth, unwellness. So please do try to find someone you feel can hold the space for you and um, try to find ways to figure out how, how you can work through this. I know it's hard, but you're valued and you have a reason and a purpose for being here. And the people who love you will stand by you and help you. Um, there's also resources you can find online. Um, the World Suicide Prevention Day has a resource on the World Health Organization website. You can have a look there, www.who.int, and look through their resources. Uh, and just try to equip yourself with as much information and other stories. Um, There's so many stories of people who are coming out and starting to share their experiences. So equipping ourselves with other people's stories is one of the ways that we take the power away that we may be feeling, the powerlessness that we may be feeling. I really do wish you well, and I hope that this is a conversation that helps you. Please, please stay well, um, and I'll catch you on the other side of this episode. Now, Monique wears many hats, and I will not try to condense them or summarize them by telling you more about her. I will allow her to introduce herself and uh, tell us about her amazing talents. Welcome, Monique. Uh, thank you, Fungai, for the warm welcome. I appreciate being here. I love the idea of being in your podcast. And to introduce myself, I'll just say I'm a Cameroonian writer a youth worker, a researcher, and someone who's very passionate about gender education and development. I'll just uh, dive right into it. And um, uh, we talked a little bit before about your journey into blogging um, and expressing yourself online. As a uh, fellow blogger, I have a similar experience to yours. Um, and I'm always keen to understand what brings people to blogging. 
as a space to share more about themselves. So I'll start with that question to you and ask you what brought you to blogging um, as a space to talk about your life and the issues around that. Um, it's funny. It's a very funny story because you made me think about it when you, when we discussed before. I set up my blog in 2012. I didn't have a Gmail account before. I created a Gmail account just for the blog, just for blogger. A friend of mine, um, my friend's elder sister was in Nigeria, and um, I had to go for Chimamanda's Farafina workshop, and it was my first time using a ship to travel. And when going there, I met her and her boyfriend, and he, I was selling a newsletter at the time. I had, a, um, I was creating newsletters on Microsoft Publisher and selling them for 100 francs each. I just wanted to be a writer because I fell in love with writing and I grew up reading novels. Mm. And so when he saw the newsletter, he was like, oh, this is cute. And he wants to encourage a university undergrad student. Obviously, you'll buy the newsletter for 100 francs, but I could do a lot better. Mm -hmm. And he told me to bring my laptop with me and showed me how to create a Gmail account and create a blog. He helped me choose my name, literally everything. Wow. <laughs> at, at the hotel while, like, we just arrived through the ship and the boyfriend was at the hotel while um, my friend's elder sister was going to her room. She was at the University of Calabar and mm -hmm. he did everything. Yeah, that's how I had Monique's musings. Wow. Do you know how he had gotten into blogging himself? Um, was he a blogger? No, he wasn't. Actually, he worked for, he's a medical doctor, worked for um, Doctors Without Borders. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and he was stationed, I think, in uh, one of the Dutch countries. I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. um, Austria or somewhere around the area of station. No, no, Austria, maybe. But he was stationed in one of the Dutch countries and he was just visiting her in Nigeria. Um, what his idea was, was, business it was like oh you're selling mm -hmm. this for 100 friends mm -hmm. and no you could have a blog and if you continue writing consistently you have a following you can advertise and make money i have never advertised and made money <laughs> and why is that but, like, i mean that's always an interesting question because i think a lot of people have been you know have experienced that that monetization versus passion or you know just doing something because you want to do it um, organically what's your take on that and why why have you kept your your space from advertising and monetization um well personally i would say um he made it seem simple how mm -hmm. monetized happens um, yeah he didn't i think perhaps because he blogging was um on the rise at the time, that was 2012. Yeah. We had yeah. seen a lot of people getting, um, um, doing advertising or becoming influencers through blogging. And he was basically saying, well, if you're a writer and if you're good enough to get selected for this workshop in Lagos, well, yes, you can possibly make money from it. Don't be selling, selling it so cheap. That's basically yeah. his idea. But I don't think yeah. he understood the business behind it, like how you have a number, amount of traffic to be able mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. get adverts um get people to advertise through you and how you have to have a specific niche he didn't have all that yeah um, background wasn't a blogger himself so he didn't really right. have all that information for me as to why i haven't advertised is because well at that time i was an undergrad and i just wanted to write and have my words out there 
And mm. I just had a lot of lot to say that I wanted to engage with people through that means. Mm. A lot of mm. what I was doing was um, social commentary yeah. and literally ranting about one issue, community issue or the other, or things that I'm seeing that, well, we could do better or things I'm yeah. passionate about. And right. that means a lot of everything. That yeah. means you don't have a niche. And that means, well, who's going to advertise perhaps your skincare product? Right. What you're right. talking about is the educational system. Right. Or what you're talking about is patriarchy. Or what, you get the point? So it's, right, um, right. Yeah. Our context. And then also the readers. Who are my readers? Yeah. I mean, who are my readers? Yeah. Where are my readers coming from? Right. And my audience. Mm-hmm. That, that all matters. I think what you said there that's really important and interesting and, and resonates, I think, with a lot of people who started blogging was just this love of writing and this desire to talk about whatever came to their minds that they felt um, required a public conversation. And, and my next question to you is, I mean, people have referred to blogs as public online journals. Um, do you see your own blog as, as a public online journal? And, and if, if yes, why? And if not, why not? Um, okay. On one hand... I would say, I would actually, no, I would not consider it a public online journal. Although I can see why people say that, because yeah. a lot of blogging is that. A lot of, a lot of other bloggers do that. It's right. pretty much like um, the YouTube blogs, hey, a day in my life, or what I eat in the day, or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, personally, none of my content is like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I typically need to write about what is on my mind. Um, mm. could, could some of the things that are on my blog be in my journal? Yes, but probably in a different way. Mm-hmm. In a different um, tone, in a different, I'll be in, more introspective rather than retrospective, rather than, um, yes, come, let's discuss this. So would, would you say... say that- I would say my blog rather than online journal will be like open letters mm-hmm. to my community and to people who care, to people mm-hmm. like me. It will be more open letters or dispatches than a, a journal. So would you then say that your public online voice sounds like your private offline uh, voice? In some ways it does um, in terms of content. What mm-hmm. I'm thinking about when I say this is Monique's musings, it's literally Monique's musings. Um, so I'm, and what I'm sharing out there is pretty much what I'm thinking about. So you can see like similar things around. I do have a private journal. Mm-hmm. So what I'm writing about at that time might be the same thing I'm blogging about. But right. like I said, the way I'm doing it, the tone I'm using will be different. Um, what I would like to discuss about um, online would be can you see how this is affecting us mm-hmm. all of it and what do you think about this um, pretty much um, from a public perspective yeah my private voice would be me thinking about it for myself personal experiences mm. where I stand yeah and so when you talk about um, lifestyle bloggers and you know, obviously, there's a kind of more formulaic way of narrating 
a storyline when you're you know a lifestyle blogger what what has made you because that is obviously as well if we're talking about monetization like your doctor friend had mentioned that is the channel or the avenue that one would take um to 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 make some sort of revenue and you said like having advertising because then you know someone would advertise their skin care range or whatever it was um their food brand um if you were more in a niche um space what makes you then decide hey you know what there isn't any monetary gain in this space that i'm inhabiting however it is still important for me to show up online um in this public way in as this public person who speaks about all these issues personally i had come to um i had come to crossroads about that mm-hmm. there was a point at which i don't i can't remember the exact year but there was a point at which i thought i was going to stop blogging mm-hmm. i think it was 2018 perhaps at the start of my phd yeah. i was just so many things entired and i found oh oh yes also i was doing i had because of 2017 i had written a lot for this is africa and platforms that yeah. actually paid for my writing even mm-hmm. if it's just a site and i was like well if i'm writing the same thing for my blog why not just write for mm-hmm. this is africa and paid for it mm-hmm. but um in the long run what i realized is um uh, i did miss this, uh, i missed a lot of months of blogging mm-hmm. because i usually i'm supposed to put up a blog post every month Mm-hmm. I miss a lot of blog and basic guilt of oh I've I've not checked this off my to do list. Right. And but um I came to realize that aside from getting something like getting something financial from it, yeah. there was this uh, what feeling guilt taught me was that I was getting something else from it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much um uh, a show of life or Mm. I put it. I like the Zoran Zoranil Houston quote that says, um, "If you don't speak up, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it." Mm. And for me, the blogging was pretty much the sign of life. It was me speaking mm-hmm. up, whether somebody was going to respond or not. It was me mm. speaking up. I used to share my links everywhere when I put up a blog post. Yeah. I still do but not I'm not as active on social media as I once was so the fact that I'm still doing it means it doesn't matter if somebody shows up or not. Mm-hmm. But I want there to be a sign of life that I said this at this point. And it benefits me today till today because somebody will say, "Oh, I was talking about that. Oh, yeah, I blogged about that about 2 years ago." Right. <laughs> um and it's just Yeah. It's a matter of saying, okay, I you show up, um, mm. whether somebody or not. And um, considering the fact that for the writing, one thing I realize if if you are dependent on the fact that you're going to get paid for something to mm. do it, mm. then that's not who you are. If I'm depending on the fact that I'm going to get paid for a piece to be right, it means I'm not a writer. Because what mm. happens if TIA is not always going to pay the staff is not always going to pay for a piece from me. Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I don't write seven months yeah no but the writing the blogging has helped me as a writer to be like show up make sure you write something even if I don't do it every month show up yeah, yeah. now I just want to read a, a small excerpt from your blog just to give the, the listeners a sense of 
what you do write about and how you do express yourself. Um, and this is quite a pertinent um, quote from there. And you say in this blog post, this past Friday, my PhD was officially conferred. I'm officially Dr. Monique Kwachu, a holder of a Doctor of Philosophy and Development Studies with a specialization in feminist studies and education. I'm not at the apex of my career, but with this terminal degree, I'm assumed to have achieved a great deal, assumed to have, quote, unquote, succeeded. I'm here to tell you that such assumptions are faulty at best and outright lies on several days a month. Not because I am ambitious and want more, but because the definition of a successful woman in our society makes it impossible for that to be achieved merely by education or professional achievement. Um, and that's um, an excerpt from uh, your blog post, Unlearning Superwoman Ideals, Suffering Mentality and Normalizing Luxury. I mean, you have a range of other topics that you've you've touched on. Home is not for everyone being another one. And another one that you have, um, which is a mix between a blog post and a blog, um, which is titled, Is There a Need for Reconciling My Faith and Feminism on the Issue of Virginity? So I'm just giving a sense of what you write about and how broad your scope is. But I also want to bring... Um, to focus your vulnerability and your your desire to speak about yourself in this way that makes you very humanized, humanizing. Um, you know, most people when they have their PhDs conferred, I don't think they tell us that they don't feel successful or as successful as people perceive them to be. Um, you know, we see posts of people graduating and that's about it that we see of the, the, the experience. But here you are coming out as a really successful woman and saying you don't feel that way or you don't feel like the standard of what success is is what, what you have attained or achieved. What makes you feel comfortable to come online and speak of yourself in these ways? Um, like I said, it's about showing up for me with mm -hmm. um, the blog writing I do and a sign of life. And mm -hmm. again, that's a Neil Houston quote. I don't mm -hmm. want you to say I'm living my best life or that I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. so I want you to know that this is how I felt in the process. And I'm happy I tell you, not I tell you. And I always um, get validated by other people's vulnerability and mm. a lot of the content that's out there I really appreciate from the plus size bloggers that help me feel confident about, about my body to mm -hmm. the people that suffer from mental health that help mm -hmm. me understand that it's not the same for everyone but it's mm -hmm. but everyone it's okay to not be okay mm -hmm. and the other people who have kind of shown that they're there is no kind of validated the fact that there is no one way. How do I get into this? What did I do? Because mm -hmm. um, for me, it's just like the excerpt that you said, um, shared about um, my experience immediately after the PhD. Mm -hmm. It was me basically saying, hey, this is my reality right now. Yeah. I want to be able to articulate it for somebody to understand, to empathize. Because if I put it into words, maybe you empathize, maybe you understand. Mm -hmm. I learned how, from books, I learned how somebody from a completely different religion lives 
and feels. Mm-hmm. From books, I learned how somebody different sexuality came about understanding their body. From books, I I was able to be transported into a complete a thirty seven year old woman at the yeah. age of fifteen, and I lived other lives, and I want other people to see my life through that, just like I and hopefully empathize with me. I guess the kind of validating exercise is a kind of therapy for me when I mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so, what has made you then decide to be consistent in that and not, you know, I mean, there's so much that can make us decide not to continue to be vulnerable. I mean, vulnerability has to be a consistent exercise where one continues to show up in their vulnerable state. What makes you then say, hey, you know what? I've been this vulnerable this time. You know, I'm sure with that comes a lot of, you know, emotion and having to hold space for that emotion. Why? What? Sorry? I've been persistent. I won't say You've I'm consistent. Been persistent. Consistent is like every what, what makes you be persistent? Because vulnerability wow. is not an easy thing to do, especially in an online space. Um, it's because once in a while, I hear back from a reader saying, thank you for sharing this. I get it now. Mm. And it reminds me of why I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like the piece I have written on my mental health journey and somebody wrote to me and said, she didn't comment on the blog. She wrote mm-hmm. to me and said, hey, I read your piece and thank you. I have actually gone to the pharmacy before and asked for antidepressants. But mm. they said I need a diagnosis. And I did not know how to explain the fact that I know I'm not okay. And that I watched, the only thing I know about antidepressants is what I've watched on Netflix videos, Netflix series. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be okay. So knowing Cameroon, like we can always get, get things without proper roots. She mm-hmm. thought she could just go and get the prescription and get a drug at the Mm. pharmacy and so Mm. just me being open with her about it enabled her to share to share that to be like thank you it's always I don't think people understand how representation matters so I Mm. think those those little things kind of help me another thing helping to be persistent another thing is um (laughs) I have a very strong sense of guilt (laughs) I wouldn't say this is a good thing Strong sense of guilt. Sense of guilt, yes. About what? About not showing up when I commit something, when I commit to something. Uh So it's like, I'm telling you, when I miss, you see, if you go through the blog, you actually see a number of times when I said um, March 2020, missing blog post. Yes, I did see that. Missing blog post. I did see that. It's like, this is me. Mm-hmm. It's my blog. It's my thing. Yeah. Nobody's paying me. And I, but I'm somehow feeling like it's missing. It's a missing blog post. Because yeah. I didn't show up on that time. And right. I feel like I need to make sure that it's one for every month. Yeah. Hey, I'm in therapy for it. I'm not going to say it's something that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say this is something that's good. Eh? But right. that's another reason why. It's because of why I feel like if you committed to doing something, see it all the way through. Yeah. 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 And especially so, you know that hey, there's a benefit for it there's a benefit of it and you promise that yeah. you're going to do it mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, the, what's interesting, and I've just been thinking about this as you've been speaking about your vulnerability, um, having gone through this pandemic that we've gone through over the last couple of years, um, and, and, you know, our lives being usurped in such profound ways, you know, habits, systems, routines being just turned over. Um, do you think that that space has made space for new vulnerability? Uh, do, you, do you think people are now becoming more vulnerable online or do you think it's actually had an adverse um, effect on people that they now just feel like they shouldn't come online and talk about things that are affecting them, especially um, pandemic-related issues? Mm. I mean, you're not online so much anymore, but from what you experience. I actually, in this, I wouldn't say I'm not online. I'm online every day, but I'm not just so active. <laughs> you're not, okay. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking, I'm watching. Right, you're just watching. Um, but I would like to, I, I, I don't know. Well, I say it's the pandemic. I think um, I definitely I definitely perceive this new attention to mental health and mm-hmm. a new attention to a vulnerability and encouragement for those who can share and a normalizing of weakness and normalizing of the fact that, hey, this is not the way life is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's our generation I, I think it's a generational shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a generational shift. The pandemic and everything just being one of the aspects of it. But um, I can't attribute it to just one thing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Um, the good, there's a good and bad. There's a good, the bad, the ugly when it concerns the beautiful. Yeah. When it concerns internet. When it concerns. Mm internet spaces and what it can do, the potential of it. Yeah. But I would definitely say um, perhaps because people know that in sharing, they will get somebody to resonate so a lot more people are speaking up. Yeah. It's harder to speak up when you know that nobody's going to agree with you. Mm. So we put... um, we put ourselves out there a lot more now because we, the internet has shown us that there is somebody somewhere that's going to agree. Yeah, yeah. And even if the people around us do not agree, we do not belong with those, those here around us, we're hoping, mm-hmm. desperately hoping that somebody across the world will be like, I feel you. Yeah. Um, there is, I've forgotten the name. I actually wrote a poem about it. That was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a, there was a Twitter question. I think it's in Zulu. That they were just asking, what's happening with you? Oje, Ojo. It's Ojo oh, I remember that trend. Actually, that started even before uh, the pandemic. I think 2018. That, yes, oh, that really? question. Yes. Yeah. Remember it's, it. it's like, what is, what is weighing on your spirit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In translation, um, I, I've forgotten. I, I wrote a poem about it. But I've forgotten the, 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 word, the phrase. But basically, yeah. the meaning was, what is weighing on your spirit? Yes. And you would see a simple question asked by a stranger on the internet bringing yeah. out so much. 
Yeah. And we were waiting for somebody to ask what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that that and thread kept going on and on and on and on. People just kept adding to it. Exactly. From all people from countries that don't even understand the meaning, they just understand yeah. that you're yeah. asking me what's wrong, yeah. what's happening. And it kind of felt like permission. You have permission to share. The internet mm. has given that, that permission mm. to share. And that, hey, somebody will be out here that gets you. So yeah. we can yeah. form a bond. We can express ourselves. Things that we cannot say at home. Because yeah. we know that people here have normalized this madness. This madness is normalized where I am. <laughs> I want you to be... Do you, and do you think maybe that's what that is? Yes. Do you think maybe yeah. that's what that is? Is that you're talking to... You're in a pr- public space, but you don't know those people. So it, it's it's public without necessarily feeling public because you're talking to people who exactly. are not in your immediate network. Is that, exactly. Do you think it contributes to that? Exactly, yeah, exactly that. And perhaps the people who make you feel small, the people who are, who you're most, you cannot be vulnerable with, are actually mm. offline. Perhaps mm. they're your parents, perhaps they're your mm. family, perhaps they don't mm. even know your online persona. So yeah. you can somehow be naked in public more than you can be naked at home. Mm. Mm. That's, that's a powerful statement. Now, what brought us to this conversation was your very candid post titled An Interview with Myself on Depression, Episode 1. I remember seeing you post this link on Facebook and then going through it and having these questions in my own mind about, you know, wow, like this is this is a very candid post. And, you know, my curiosity being what made you feel comfortable enough to talk so candidly about it, about your mental health, because in that post, you you interview yourself about your battle with depression. Now, people will often tell people, especially those with a profile of achievement such as yours, to not speak about something like mental health, depression, which is still a big taboo issue. Um, so I'm sure you've been you've heard that feedback. People have said this to you. What made you still go ahead and and publish that post and and keep it active because I do know other people who've made similar posts and then they will take them down after some time. What what has made you just say, hey, I'm going to talk about my mental health. I'm going to talk about my depression with my name attached to it. And that's okay. Um, Last year, I suffered uh, the... like strong as bout of depression I've experienced since 2007. Hmm. Which brought up suicide ideation again. And hmm. I've been in therapy since April 2021. Like real therapy for the first time. Because <laughs> hmm. I've tried it. But I, I got mismatched a few times. In hmm. But I've been like steadily in therapy since April 2021. Hmm. And um. It took a long time to actually write out what I uh, what I was feeling and how was it. I, I wanted to explain to people what is happening because there are this uh, juvenile ideas about it. Oh, have you prayed enough? Oh, mm-hmm. do you have enough faith? Oh, um, you should fast about this. Oh, you should perhaps it's something somebody's attacking you from the village. You know, so. Mm-hmm. And 
there's some kind of ideas about it. And that ultimately play into how you feel about yourself. And I just wanted to write something. Like I said, um, writing is a way of, it's a way I communicate and it's a form of therapy for me. Right. I feel like if I can put into the right words, perhaps you can put yourself in my shoes, feel it, understand it, mm-hmm. and create some empathy. That's mm-hmm. typically the idea behind my writing in all forms, just building empathy because mm-hmm. I have felt empathy through reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was writing, when I, when I was writing that, um, it was actually a therapy exercise and it's a longer exercise. I'll share another part of it this month. Mm-hmm. And when I finished writing it, a full exercise, I sent it to a few friends. I was like, hey, okay, this is the therapy exercise I've done. I gave myself. I want you to just understand what's happening. It's mm-hmm. pretty much for to understand. So mm-hmm. you don't ask me the same questions that trigger me every time. Mm-hmm. You don't make the same assumptions that this mm-hmm. could be this, this need for prayer or what. And I've answered all the questions already. So next time you come up to me and tell me, hey, don't you think you should have done? I'm just like, hey, here's the document. Oh, read this. Read <laughs> Go read this and come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've already done it. And that's what I've been doing since I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please yeah, find understand. the URL attached to this email. <laughs> and that's what I've been you doing. I refer to this blog post. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> And I mean, as much as we are laughing, I I just want to also say, if anyone is listening and is experiencing any kind of suicidal ideation or really poor mental health, um, I would encourage you, as I'm sure you would too, to speak to someone that they trust and they feel that they are safe enough to talk about what's going on with. And also, like you've talked about therapy, seeking professional help. Um, It's really difficult. I mean, it's still sort of, um, uh, you know, it's a, a big privilege to even say such things because many people yeah. don't have access to those things. But I just want to put that out there to say, yes, if anyone's feeling this way, please do seek some sort of help. Um, and yeah, I'm sure you have more to say as well. Yeah, um, I definitely second what you've said, and I everything, including the fact that it's a privilege. My mm. therapist was pretty much a gift from a friend, from a married fellow mm. who knew that I was oh, struggling. Okay. And and she reached out in her network and was like, could you help me? Could you do pro bono work? And she did pro bono work. My therapist did pro bono work. I only was able to pay her as from this year. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you. And that's I'm kind hoping. of the blessings you get as well from, you know, this public vulnerability. I mean, we talked a, a little bit about, you know, monetization of talents or skills or voice. And, you know, sometimes it comes back to you in these unexpected ways that, you know, like you put your voice out there. Um, yes. And, you know, you get these these benefits or rewards out of it that are not necessarily monetary, but they're, they can be so much more enriching. They are. You actually, thank you for bringing that up because I'm thinking that's an aspect that I keep trying to tell people who tell me, oh, you're too open. I'm too open for my society. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't tell people that we're traveling. Nobody see you're not telling yeah. anybody they're traveling. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to you know, you know, so you don't tell anybody that you're dating this person until you're yeah. already getting married. 
You don't yeah. have anybody that you're pregnant until you have it, you've had the baby. Right, right. Uh, right. So um, I'm too open for our society. But I feel like, I think people don't understand there's that vulnerability when you know, when you're open, you mm-hmm. attract the openness as well. People can also be open and feel. And yeah. since you're open, you can be a lot more, how can I put it? Hmm. You're free of yeah. whatever voices of shame, of um, manipulation, of blackmail. You're free of you're free of the devil scheming in your mind, basically telling you, oh, because you, you're doing this, you're shameful. Mm. Kind mm. of you're free of all of that. Because yeah. for example, the blog on negotiating um, Christian my Christian beliefs and sexuality and virginity. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much me saying, hey, this is who I am and this is where I struggle and this is why I don't agree. You're right. And so if somebody comes up to me in future and says, oh, you did this, you, this is shameful. I'm like, yeah, well, I was very open about it. This is where I struggle. Yeah. I think that vulnerability also attracts um, people willing to, willingness to help you because somebody cannot help you if they don't know you're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like your intersections are very interesting because you have, even in that vlog, you talk about I'm Christian, but I'm feminist. And these are things that are seen as being uh, diametrically opposed to each other. But this is how I navigate this. You know, I feel this way about this issue and I feel this way about that issue. And I think uh, from my own perspective or my own experience of life, and I think as well being someone who similarly uh, considered too loud for my society. It's it's always this idea of pushing back against a singular idea of what people yes. are because they're so much more complex than we that often. Right, that and that and that we often are not allowed to be more complex because society would rather that everyone fit in a box because you know mm-hmm. it's. The system works better if everyone shuffles into a space and that's it. And, and and then the people who are living on these multiple intersections are constantly trying to shout out and say, hey, you know, I don't fit into that box or that box. I'm trying to fit in my own way or create my own path. It's it's a very interesting space to navigate and, and inhabit because it's not often it's 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 frowned upon but once you speak about it other people say i identify with that yes definitely agree with you it's Mm. and because you're open about navigating and where you struggle you can invite you invite other people to be open about theirs and be validated in where they're struggling as well Mm. you're helping just by being you Hmm. Hmm. What a healing conversation this is. Thank you for your insights. Um, so now we've talked a lot about all this public vulnerability and being online and, you know, putting our names to issues that people would consider taboo or, or think, oh, you know, this is you shooting yourself in the foot. But we also talked a little bit, you know, previously about pen names and pseudonyms and how you write some of your own content under a pseudonym. How do you then select, given that you're so um, committed to having public conversations and and putting your name and face to them, how do you then select what you decide to speak about as Monique 
and what you then speak or write about under your pen name? Um, that's actually a very good question. It's it's um, it's something that I have struggled with a bit. Um, most recently, there's a piece I wrote anonymously that I am now claiming openly that I wrote it. A piece mm-hmm. for Africa as a country. Mm-hmm. What I have learned from that experience is I will never publish anonymously again, but I do have a pen name mm-hmm. that I use for um, certain pieces. And how I decide is, um, I guess, based on the fact that I've always thought of myself because I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, my profession is this as an academic, and I know that at any point in time, you could have a student Googling you. Right. And trying to, and I would not want the first thing that comes up would be me writing about perhaps having a boudoir shoot or me writing mm-hmm. about. Um, so there's nothing wrong with having a boudoir shoot. Oh, there's nothing wrong with having a boudoir shoot. <laughs> I would not, I do not think there's anything wrong with having a boudoir shoot. I had one. But mm-hmm. um, I, I would not want it to be on the first page of the Google search because it kind of takes away from um, the box. We do know that this is how our society sees you. It takes away from professional qualifications that somebody's looking for, for a particular role. Right. right. And so since I know that this is my academic profile, this is my professional profile, this is what could happen when you do a Google keyword search, I have a pseudonym for certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not ashamed of anything I've written whether under a pseudonym or not. Mm-hmm. It's not about shame. I think it's more about protection. There are certain things that I would like to, I, I still share, still out right. there, but it's for anybody to read without linking it to me. I feel the conversation mm-hmm. needs to be had, but I do not mm-hmm. feel, you need to know that it's me leading the conversation. Mm-hmm. Those that know, will know that it's me because I'm going, they know my writing. <laughs> yeah. And I can share it directly with my friends. Like somebody has shared a piece by me, even under a pseudonym, and somebody else wrote, it to, wrote to me and said, Hey, Monique, is this you? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's like, I know you, I know your writing. Yeah, so um, I, I, I just want the conversation to be out there. It's like I said, it's for writing. It's, therapy and it's a show of life of knowing that I'm here and this needs to be said mm-hmm. and, and so whether I'm doing it under my name or under my pseudonym it's fine I do though acknowledge that how I make the decision mm-hmm. how I make that decision is often linked to um what what will people think yeah well, I definitely do acknowledge that. It's linked to what people think if this was the first thing on a Google search. If this piece of mine mm-hmm. was the first thing that came up on a student search, me would it be what they will be discussing in class with my mm-hmm. back turned while I'm writing on the board? Mm-hmm. Would, be, um, would this be what I want some, a potential employer to see first on the first page? Mm-hmm. So, although I want that conversation to be had and although I'm not afraid or ashamed of my opinions on that or whatever I'm sharing yeah, I just do not want it to be a distraction as well because it's a part of me but it's not yeah. all of me yeah 
So certain things I will admit. Yeah, certain things I will admit have that. Go ahead. As a certain things I will admit have that um, aspect, that acknowledgement of other people's purview mm. of my mm. writing or of my thoughts. And mm. that's how sometimes I make that decision. One of the hardest decisions I had to make, there was a, there's a piece that I've written under a pseudonym. And mm-hmm. it's pretty much about a um, sexual harassment experience. Mm. And I was very okay because it, it's one of the things that I've healed from over the years. Mm. that I can acknowledge feeling from. I was very okay writing under my name. Mm-hmm. But um, my friend who was the publisher of the, of the anthology said he doesn't recommend that. And he asked me to just put it under a certain name. Um. He knows what people will think. And he would not want to put that, put that on me. So I was like, okay, fine. You can use my certain name for the piece. So in that, and also because perhaps in same situations about your family, while you yeah. might have put on your healing process, they haven't. Yeah. So sometimes also protection of them. Yeah. Not necessarily like shame about what you're writing. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just said about, you know, sometimes the pseudonym being used because what will people think of the story? And we can't run away as well from the fact that as Black African women, there are also these other barriers that come in, not just from um, culture, but um, patriarchy. There's all these things that keep women suppressing their voices and saying, well, if I talk about this, you know, I'll be labeled that. And, you know, that has consequences on all aspects of your life. Um, what is that unique experience for you as a as a Black African woman having to navigate, you know, a digital space that ultimately was not constructed, I don't think, with our voices particularly in mind. We are sort of using the space and appropriating it for our own narratives, but still engaging with the very real realities of where we come from and who we are and what we look like and what we are perceived as. Um, what what is that? Is that a spe- an extra political st- stance that you take into your work, or is that a source of kind of fear and then stepping back and saying, "Well, I can't talk about this." I I, I definitely agree. Sometimes it is um, it definitely is a political stance. There's, I don't know who said it, I can't remember the quote to attribute, but there's a quote I love that goes, writing is resistance. Mm. And I would definitely agree in a way, writing is resistance, especially in a country that would like us to forget. Remembering is resistance. Mm. Writing it down, mm. saying this happened, saying this feeling was here in a country that we just want to drink away the problems. Or we just want to act like this person was perfect when the person dies and don't shouldn't. Um, or because you grew up, you grew up, you turned out fine. So okay, what happened? Um, so in that way, writing is definitely resistance. Um, personally, I would say hmm, as to the question of whether I think 
input how I think about what I put out there and um, as an African woman and my identity and being told to shrink. I would say, hey, I'm guilty of that as well. It's not like I'm, although I resist, yes, in my writing, I do try and push the borders as much as I can. But sometimes, in many ways, I shrink as well. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I have felt called to do was um, talk about uh, issues of sexuality and the way and father and the father wounds that we have in the church and the way the Christian, the Christian church focuses on women and not on men. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that I would like to um, address with young people in the church and the doctrines and the way we're just basically telling them to follow and they don't critically mm-hmm. think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I have always said, oh, I'll do that when I get married. <laughs> and I'm laughing because it's funny now. <laughs> but that's why is it funny? Time. It's funny because it's it's as unfeminist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can be right, 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 right. Um, let me say it's a femi- It's funny because it goes against my very feminist ideals. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of like yeah, it's really funny that you are saying this and you're 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 thinking yeah. it was normal. Yeah, <laughs> but it was also because I knew that if I go and I go to the church and I say, "Hey, I want us to um, there's a youth group. Can we have? Can I lead a youth meet in church about sex and sexuality, or about why you're in church? Is it because your parents brought you to be a Christian? Think critically. Think critically for yourself. It will be going every. It will be going against everything, and they'll be asking basically." Are you married? Why would you be talking about sex? Yeah. <laughs> the point. yeah. So I knew that I needed the covering of a husband to be able to rebel. <laughs> Within African feminism, that, and that's where mm-hmm. I specialize, with African feminism, this is already a tactic, it's negotiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was validated by the fact that, yes, I know, I, like, I want that covering to be able to fight in this way, to be able to resist mm-hmm. in this way. But um, I want that covering to be able to have the podium because they'll be introducing me as Mrs. This. Then I can break. <laughs> then I can break. I can break that. <laughs> I want to break that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it also shows that it also shows one of the problems that we have within the African feminism, within the, with the idea of negotiation. That hey, aren't you playing to the patriarchy? You're playing to it. Yeah. Rather than resisting yeah. it in full force, right? So, I, I when I thought so, just admit that in some ways I am that openly resistant person, but in some ways because mm-hmm. of the consequences on our jobs um, and how we resist, whether it's resisting politically or resisting socially, religious or culturally within the religious spaces, but not there is always consequence. I have one of my favorite feminist African feminists. Is um, Nana Dakwa and Raika Raika Adventures. Yay, yes. Raika Adventures. And from the bedroom of African women, or the sex lives of African women, yes. sorry. And I, I love Nana. And I, when I look at her, though, I see somebody that um, 
in their expression of their self, in their freedom of their self, allows other people to be in. But I also see somebody that has a privilege that I wonder that I should dare do this. Will I be able? Mm. Will I be, ever be able to get employed if I could do this? If I can, I ever come out with this? Mm. And she allows mm. us. She gives us the rooms to say it's possible. Perhaps it's small. There's a small chance that this is a possibility. Right. Right. And uh, I think she's that. She's that example of an African woman. Definitely saying, despite all the restrictions and despite all the um, ways we're forced to shrink and keep our voices down, there are some of us that when we are loud, we're fought to be loud, and mm. we allow other people to be to have their voices heard as well. Absolutely, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, Monique. I think this has been a very enriching and an encouraging conversation mutually. Um, I, I got so much from it for myself and I'm sure the listeners out there will get so much as well out of it. Um, before we end, I just wanted to give you a chance to say any final thoughts or anything that you felt um, very strongly that you wanted people to know or think through um, as we come to the end of this, this episode. And I would just like to say thank you to Fungai for inviting me and um, for illustrating what we have just discussed here today. That sometimes when you're vulnerable, somebody picks it up and somebody sees what you've written and continues the conversation. So if you have something to say, whatever it is, I would like to encourage somebody to write it. You might not want to share it publicly for now, but write it out or record it. Just have that proof of life that you were here, you felt like this. I don't think we were ever meant to read the diary of Anne Frank, but look at it years later on the internet. Mm. So just have that proof of life. Have that proof of life. Thank you so much. And please give us your proof of life on social media, on whichever platforms you want us to follow you on, your blog, and any other platforms that you'd want us to have access to you via. Um, I'm, I typically share poetry on Instagram and mm-hmm. uh, and then my blog. I could say, I think we all use Twitter to rant or to drag anybody that is having poor service. But aside from that... <laughs> and what are your handles? The media. Your handles, your URL, your, your handles um, and your URL. I am Anne Montrells on Twitter. M-O-N-T-R-E-L-Z at Montrells on Twitter. R-E-L-Z. And on Instagram, I am Miss Quachu. Miss Kwachu on Instagram. Yes. And your blog uh, website? Uh, my website your is moniquachu.com. 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 Yes. www.moniquachu.com. Okay, great. Well, I'm looking forward to more people connecting with you, and I wish you all the very best in your continued. 
vulnerability. Thank you so much for your time and for your openness. I'm sure many people will benefit from learning of you or learning through you and, and knowing you. Thank you for your vulnerability and for um, continuing to express it in a very caring and empathetic way to other people. So thank you so much. And I, I wish you all the best. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, I really am so grateful to Monique for coming on and for all that she has shared. And as I said at the beginning, there's resources online that you can look into, hopefully um, to help you if you're not feeling okay. Um, just if you have um, some time to just check through resources around World Suicide Prevention Day online as well, spaces like uh, Twitter and hashtags there. Um, but then I would always also say, if you can find someone safe to speak to, please do find someone safe to speak to, to let them know what's going on. Uh, and I'm really sorry for people who may not have someone safe to speak to. But I will say that I hope that these stories, these people who speak up, speak to you because that's another way of being spoken to. If people in our immediate environments cannot hear us or cannot listen to us or we cannot speak to them, let us speak to other people out in this world, in this digital world, who are speaking back to us. Let us have that community. Let us have that communication, that exchange, just to know you are never alone. All right, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. I really do wish you well and I wish you a good rest of your week. Yeah.